to the Beer Conspiracy Show. It's a comedy podcast where three best buds sit around and talk about the supernatural, conspiracy theories, true crimes, and more. Pretty much anything weird. Now, we tend to pull no punches, so a mature listening audience is advised. But if you like to have a good time, then crack open a cold one. Pull up a chair and hang out with the boys of the Beer Conspiracy Show. The scene was horrible beyond belief as Sheila Sharp looked through the window of her mother's house in Ketty, California. Inside, on the living room floor, lay the corpses of her mother, her brother, and his friend. All had been tortured and viciously murdered. The bodies remained bound and gagged. Dead were 36-year-old Glenna Sharp, the mother of five. Her son, 15-year-old John Sharp, a student at Quincy High School. His friend from school, 17-year-old Dana Wingate. No one is quite sure what happened on that April night in 1981. What up, everybody? Welcome to the Beer Conspiracy Show. Thank you for being here. We're your hosts. I'm Aaron. I'm Sean. Dirty D can't be with us tonight. And just a He's little... He's having a baby. Yeah, right. A poop baby. Just to let y'all know, he was supposed to be doing that topic tonight. It's just me and Sean. So I couldn't do the usual amount of research I could. But So I'm just going to give you a little shortened version of a very famous true crime story. So we'll go ahead and just jump into this. This is the Keddy Cabin Murders. Um, supposedly this is what The Strangers was based off of. Oh, I, I'm, uh, I haven't seen that movie. I bet it's ever, good, ever. Oh, I know it's going to be good, but I know it's going to be like hostile and like a little bit of torture. I'm like, not in the mood. Not in the it's mood for very, torture. I don't know if you'd, you'd probably be scared now that you moved to the country. Oh, I keep all my windows locked all the time since doing Richard Ramirez podcast. I'm like, ugh, I'd want to open a window cause it feels great, but nope. Everybody's locked. Well, this is going to make that a whole a lot worse. So, oh, man, I'm regretting coming. This is a quadruple murder of the Sharp family in the town of Ketty, California. The victims are Sue Sharp, her 15-year-old son Johnny, and his 17-year-old friend Dana Wingate, and 12-year-old daughter Tina. So, Susan Davis, called Sue, was born in 1945 in Massachusetts, and she ended up marrying a guy named James Sharp. His name's Jim at the age of 20. So they had five children together. Johnny, Sheila, Tina, Rick, and Greg. Jim Sharp began exhibiting anger issues and he would become abusive to the family. So they did try moving from Connecticut to the Carolinas for a fresh start. But Jim was a huge dick. Apparently Jim was not only emotionally and physically abusive, but also sexually abusive it. towards his daughters, Sheila and Tina. Sue did finally separate from Jim for good in 1980, but um, they may have also, there's another story that they may have separated because Jim took out a large sum of money from the bank to bring his Filipino wife to the States. They were pregnant. She was pregnant and... Uh, 
he might have had another family also. So she finally separated from. So anyway, she took the kids to Quincy in Northern California and stayed with her brother, Don Davis. I've read that either she either stayed with him or they I think they might have just actually taken over his rental trailer. He was moving out, so they were going to move in. So let's go over the ages of the kids at this time. Johnny was 15, Sheila was 14, Tina was 12, Rick was 10, and Greg was 5. So Sue finally found a place to live. How old is Tina? 12. Thanks. <laughs> You're a dick. Sue finally... Sue, <laughs> <clears throat> Sue finally found a place to live because I believe that their trailer was not very nice and it was way too small for the large family. So she not found... Not very nice. Who wrote this? Uh, not very nice. <laughs> yeah. I have a word limit in my speech. <laughs> so she found a cabin in the Sierra Nevada mountains in a town called Ketty. So lucky for her, the town sheriff had just moved out and relocated to Quincy. So when the sheriff moved out, she moved in into cabin 28. Mm. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to say she became the sheriff. That'd be, I don't know if women are allowed to be sheriffs. Oh yeah, that's right. So Ketty was a really small town. There was like 60 People maybe wow, back then. Wow, small yeah. as hell. Yeah. You know, I always think where we come from is small, but this is like 30 I, times bigger. I feel like they should put a limit on the amount of people to be a town. 60 people? Oh. Yeah, man, uh, man I was saying all you need is, a, I don't know, more than a few people and the other. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a, now that I think about it, there's those people that buy like ghost towns and then they yeah. make their own. Apparently, it's not Apparently, it's not hard. I mean, you know, the rules. You got a shitload of money, I guess. Yeah. If, if uh, the rules are simple, you like be there and then you do it. Mm-hmm. So it, Kenny had been a railroad town, but after the railroad terminal closed up, the town kind of dried up with that. They Where did is this again? Sounds like California. West Virginia. Oh, damn. Them too, huh? In the mountains. It's up in the mountains. I didn't know railroads closed down. That sucks. Well, this is back in the 70s, I believe. Mm. So uh, they did try to boost the tourism by building a resort there. It's these cabins that I'm talking about. Didn't really work out any very well. Didn't bring any tourism or anything to the town. And the cabins ended up being offered as low-income housing, which Sue was very low-income. So the family lived on her ex's Navy stipend. He was in the Navy. And food stamps. And Sue... Sounds about right. Yeah. Sue eventually moving the family into cabin 28 in November of 1980. The two-bedroom house with the third basement room where that's where Johnny stayed, oldest boy, so he got the kick-ass basement room. They kept the doors unlocked so Johnny could have access to the bathroom. The basement room had a separate entrance, and I guess it didn't have access to the main part of the house. The family did make a few friends, but most would say that Sue was sort of kept to herself. Uh, Mainly, their friends were the people living in the cabins next to them. Sheila did make good friends with the people living right next door, the Seabolts. So this is like 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 low income housing. So usually, if I know anything about people of low income housing, they do drugs and they sell drugs. And I think I might have just made a fact that you're not supposed to say. Um, well, it's um, it is assumed, sadly, but you know these would be great, like um. Houses on the winter, like the rent, looks like very in the They're mountains. They're old and gross, though. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, there are some of those, too. Yeah. I, 
I, I think used, these. I used to live in the mountains, and it's kind of different from. I thought these were built in the seventies, but I think those might have been built in the thirties. Damn. So they were pretty bad. Ew. Where do I poop? Oh, you just go downhill, like yeah, but the back door. <laughs> the bathroom is downhill. Yeah, it just goes. Where's it going? It goes down. Down. <laughs> Ew. So on Saturday, April eleventh, nineteen eighty-one. Sue and Sheila and Greg drove into Quincy. Quincy's like the big town, seven about seven miles away. Big town. They were going to pick up Rick from Gasner Field. He was at a baseball tryout. Along the way, back to Keddy, they happened just happened upon Johnny and his friend Dana Wingate, who were hitchhiking, and Sue picked them up. They were going back to Keddy. She saw her kid going back to Keddy, so she picked them up off the side and they're going back to their cabin. So then about two hours later, at three o'clock, they, uh, Johnny and Dana said that they wanted to go back to Quincy. They apparently had a fucking badass party going on that night, so they had to hitchhike back. Uh, Sue said that was fine, but that she didn't want them hitchhiking, and they agreed. They were last seen around 10 p.m. trying to hitchhike back to Keddy. So that night at Cabin 28, Rick and Greg had their best friend, Justin Smart, over for a sleepover. He lived in cabin 26, just two cabins down with his mother, Marilyn Smart, and stepfather, Marty, Marty, Marty. <laughs> Marty, Marty, Marty. <laughs> Marty Smart. So at around 8 p.m., Sheila and Tina went to the to visit the Seabolts in cabin 27. Sheila planned to stay the night, but Sheila and her friend, I think her name was Alicia, they're a little older than Tina, so they just wanted to have an older girls' night, so they sent Tina back home between 9 p.m. and 10 p.m. So the next morning, around 7, between 7 and 7.45, Sheila walked home. Quarter to 8? Yeah. I know fractions. <laughs> Sheila walked into her home at cabin 28, and she was hit with the stench of death and blood. She noticed a shitload of blood everywhere. Sounds like Taco Tuesdays. Mornings. Grasshoppers. <laughs> yep. That sounds about right. So she noticed a shitload of blood everywhere. It's on the floor. It's on the walls. It's on the ceiling. Uh, she finally kind of, she notices some bodies that Someone's are tied up together. Rag. Oh, God. On the floor. So she stood there in shock for a little bit until she finally pulled herself together. She ran back to the Seabolt's cabin. She's crying and screaming and trying to tell them what's going on at her house. So the Seabolt parents, James and Zanita, went to the cabin uh, cabin nearby to call the authorities because they didn't have a phone in their cabin. That's crazy. Poor. Yeah. The 70s, though. It's very 80s. 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 Yeah. Oh, so Marilyn wants to get a, a landline, and we do have a phone number. And uh, I've always wanted, since Nickelodeon days, the baseball phone. Oh, uh, sorry, basketball phone. It's a basketball and then also a phone. It isn't dribble, but it looks like a basketball. And I've always wanted So the Seabolt sent their teenage son, Jamie, over to see what was going on at the cabin. And then when he went in, he witnessed all the bodies and all the blood. And he just started checking to see if there was anybody alive. This dude did? Yeah, a little they, kid. A they little, sent they sent son, a little kid? Teenage. That's pretty cool. You sent like a more adult person. Exactly. So Jeez. Jamie went outside to look through the back window and he saw that Rick and Greg and Justin, the 10, 5, and I think Justin was 12. He's the smart son from 26, I believe. 
So he finds them all, and they're he's they're still asleep in their room. And I mean, no idea how all these kids slept through a fucking murder and didn't hear anything all night. They're so, uh, heavy sleepers, I guess. <laughs> so Jamie gets in through the window to wake the boys up, and then he takes them out through back through the window so they don't go through the front door and see all the blood and dead bodies and stuff. Man, this kid's a hero. Yeah. He could be like 17, 18, maybe. That's I was teenage. thinking like 14. I was like, damn. It just said teenage. I don't know how old he was. 17 still pretty young, too. Yeah. But still. You know, um, I plus, so. I'm not You don't know if there was, the killers are still in the house or yeah. if they're still around. And you send your little kid son out I'm to a, go see. I'm agreeing with you. Crazy. Yep. So the police finally get there. And they also bring Sue's brother, Don. Don Davis. They send him in to ID the bodies. He was in and out. Two first names. Don Davis. I never met a Davis. Yeah. I, well, I've only one for sure. Not his last name? Realtor. Yeah, Davis. Not his last name. A Davis something? Davis is a last name, not a first name. We're looking for a... Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So Don was like going back in and in and out of the house because he... I mean, you don't want to be looking at your dead sister and all these... All your nieces and nephews and stuff. I don't know. What if there's... Yep, you're right. I was imagining him uh, like... It's like, I still got the Hot Pocket. Like, if this is about to be a crime scene. I can warm up this Hot Pocket real quick. And then he's just like a microwave. Yeah, it'd be a, a gross scene if that happened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it'd be you? like... Uh, yeah, anyway, let's go ahead. Almost like a Pulp Fiction scene. Yep. So he's able to identify Sue, Johnny, and Dana. So they had been beaten with two different bloody hammers, but they only found one at the crime scene. They were cut and stabbed with a butcher knife and a steak knife that was found bent at like a 30 degree angle. So it must have hit something hard to bend like that. Um, They were tied up with medical tape and electrical cords. Sue was naked from the waist down, but there was no signs of any sexual assault. Oh, surprising. Yeah. First time in a while. We how are you going to have a vagina there? Not. Yeah. I mean. Oh, you I, said it. <laughs> she was gagged with her panties and a bandana and her mouth was taped with medical tape. Man, she was like, hey, I'm almost out of this without getting my hoo-ha penetrated. And like, oh, oh man, yeah. knife to the chest. Yeah, I know. She wasn't expecting that. Yeah. And throat cut. <sighs> she was covered by a yellow blanket and like I said, stabbed to the chest, stabbed to the throat. I'm sorry, stabbed to the chest, throat cut, hit in the head with a Daisy 880 BB gun. A BB gun? BB gun. Like a BB from it? No, with the rifle. Huh. I mean, I guess... <laughs> <laughs> like the murder happened and they just like, at the very end, like... <laughs> oh, shit, wrong gun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I was thinking of a rifle that like, it's just like... I like, I still. Well, I mean, you're not shooting them with it. You're smashing their head in with it. That's, so, I mean, that's not, not what I was thinking. Yeah. I was thinking with the rifle, like, to, to finish them off. They're like, oh, <laughs> oh fuck. <laughs> where do you, like, where did you get this gun? <laughs> it's not no, my... not that one. <laughs> the back door. The, the, the gun by the back door. They're packing their gear, and this one guy, he's like, he's looking at two guns. He's like, oh, it's got to be this one. <laughs> So the boys' hands and feet were tied with electrical cord. Johnny, they were, I think their hands were tied up with medical tape, and then they tied both of their feet with the electrical cord, so they were tied together. Johnny's throat was cut, and Dana showed signs of manual strangulation, so I don't know why you would cut one's throat and strangle the other one. 
All three. Sounds like a crime of passion. Not. <laughs> it might be one of their first times doing it. Shut the fuck up. Like what? You think you- <laughs> we talked about it enough. All three showed signs of blood force trauma with a hammer. Probably from a hammer. A blood object. She had defensive wounds and was tied up tighter than the boys. And the boys had no defensive wounds. That means they were probably tied up before they were killed. The BB gun wasn't found, but they found the pellets and the sights of the gun, which was probably broken off while she was beaten. Told you about the pellets. To me, it seems that someone might have come in the cabin, was threatening Sue, and then the boys came home later from that party, and then they walk in, and they're like, what the fuck's going on, man? Why you got the BB gun? <laughs> Why you got terrible, that BB gun? Terrible accent. There wasn't doing an accent. This is my she English accent. accent. What do you want me to do? Is she had a Californian button. No. no? Like, oh, no, bro. Yeah. You took the 409? Murder? Oh, no. <laughs> so she was probably bleeding because she had blood on her feet and the boys had blood on the soles of their shoes. So whoever it is ties up the boys, probably kills them, and then forces Sue to watch. So she fights back. They tie her up, and then they kill her, too. That's just what I sounds plausible to me. But again, all the younger boys never woke up. And, like, how did that even happen? I don't know. I, don't, <laughs> I was like, oh, A you couple, asked me. Uh, I was like, I don't know. I don't know, bro. <laughs> you tell me. A couple living nearby did say that they heard a muffled groaning or a screaming at around 1.30 a.m., but they didn't know where it was coming from, so they just went back to sleep. Um, they didn't report it either. How did that happen? I don't know. I'd, <laughs> I'd be. I think I'd be awake for half an hour. I'd be like, "What the? Fuck? Oh, you wouldn't." Tit like five minutes. Five minutes for sure. For, to be honest, the Seabolt's cabin where Sheila was staying was like fifteen feet away from theirs, and they didn't hear anything. Sounds like they were in on. Nah, I'm just. It's weird. Like, how do you not hear anything? But anyway, so the only phone in the house. Was in the back bedroom, found phone off the hook, and they cut the phone line also. No forced entry, but remember, they didn't lock the door, so yeah, Johnny could go take a shit. Take a shit. <laughs> yeah. So there was a bloody print. Man, what if like one night you like see walk in and you just like try to open the door? It's like it's locked. <laughs> oh shit. It's coming out and I plan for this door to be open. I don't think you have shit feelings if you're sleepwalking. Huh. Think about that. Yeah, you know. Because you don't even know what's going on. You're in a dream world. Yeah, I think I sleptwalked once for sure. And oh, no feelings that's cool. of pooping. How was it? Uh, Fun? It freaked you out. Well, I sleptwalked oh. 15 years ago. Wait. To this day. No, 11 years ago. Oh. Okay, yeah, I do remember. They did find a bloody print on the handrail at the back entrance, so that might indicate that the assailants or assailants left through the back so as the police were investigating, it took them a couple hours before they realized that Tina wasn't even in the house. They found a small amount of blood in her bed, maybe on one of the comforters or something. So the FBI was brought in and they started a search for Tina and they theorized that since that she was gone, that maybe she was the prime target to begin with. Uh, Jim Sharp was the first person investigated in the murders, the dad, the ex-husband, the dad, since he, he had a history of abuse, it's not hard to see why, but he did have an alibi for that night, so he was let off the hook. And half of his face was metal, so he thought of suspicious. You can't trust those guys. Yep, nope. I mean, Either you, a robot they're up to or no good. Android. Yep, no, you can't trust them droids. Good or, is it good or is it bad? I don't know. 
So they start looking to Sue's life. Rumors were swirling that she was involved in drugs or maybe prostitution. There's nothing to back that up, though. I think a lot of people in the town were just talking shit because that's what people do in a small town. 60 people. Jeez. Sheila said she wasn't. She would have noticed if her mother was involved in those types of things. And there was also no drugs found in the house. Um, I don't think anyone can really say what kind of mother she was. Like, I keep getting varying accounts of, oh, like, she was a really good mother. She took care of the kids. Of course, they're low income, so she's doing the best she can. But then I also hear that she was very neglectful, that she didn't even really care about all her kids. She'd hang out at other people's trailers and, uh, no, just hang out. Not doing anything bad, just, like, watching TV or just... Not not hanging with the kids. Yeah. Another theory says that whoever had drove Johnny and Dana back to the house may have committed the murders. Maybe they picked them up, came inside the house with them, and just decided, oh shit, easy pickings, just a woman and some kids. They just ended up killing them all or something. Uh, The cops did pick up everybody that was at the party, questioned them, but nothing really came of that. Then they started looking into Tina's life because remember, Tina is just gone. So maybe they think they came in specifically for her. Tina and her friend had been molested in July of 1980. They did make a report. Uh, Tina was confessing to a male officer, but the mother started screaming she wanted a female officer. And then the recording got fucked up and then... The girls didn't want to go through it all again, so nothing never came of that either. They just stopped investigating. And then another teacher was also suspected, a man named Joel Walker Lipsy. He was infatuated with Tina, might have been grooming her at the time. The police found photos of Tina on his desk, on his school desk, and also displayed in his house. Do you want some guy having pictures of your daughter? Oh, no. Exactly. But if I was a lady and like some guys had pictures of me in his house, I'm like, oh, dang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was found not connected, but he would later be a convicted child rapist. After later questioning Justin Smart, he told police that he was having dreams of what happened that night. So they actually used hypnotism to try and bring out what happened. So before the boys went to sleep, they were watching the Love Boat. I never watched that show. Is it like a cruise and like they're all friends? Yeah. Never watched it. Yeah, me neither. So in his dream, he was seeing that he was on that love boat ship. He saw two men stab Sue, Johnny, and Dana, and then they threw him overboard and the two men escaped in a raft. But some details of his dream actually match stuff at the crime scene. He said he saw one man slice Sue in the chest and use the hammer. He saw Johnny and Dana arguing with the two men, and then Tina came out of her room. One man grabbed her and forced her out the back door. And Justin said he tried to stop Sue's bleeding with a towel, but it didn't work, so he just covered her with a blanket. He was able to describe the men. One was about 5'11", dark blonde hair. The other was shorter with black hair. They were... Don't say it. They were late 20s. Early 30s, maybe. Urban. Both were, no. <laughs> both were, nope. Both were wearing gold frame sunglasses. <laughs> gold? Gold frames. That's bold. Yep. So the police thought you that think maybe. think it's their theme? Maybe. How do you spell gold with your fingers? <laughs> <laughs> 
So the police think maybe that he was onto something and they had composite sketches made. One sketch did look like Justin's stepfather, Marty Smart. So Justin ended up coming back and he's saying he did witness the murders that he woken up in the night. He saw his stepfather was not involved at all. But the police weren't convinced of that. So Marty was another angry, abusive man involved in drugs. He was known not to like Johnny because he thought Johnny was a troublemaker. He even tried to run over his wife, Marilyn, and Justin. Sue may have been trying to get Marilyn to leave Marty. Because, I mean, Sue just got out of a, a abusive marriage. Yeah, it sounds like the Brady Bunch. Yeah. Oh, so this would give Marty motive to get rid of Sue. But there may have been evidence that Marty and Sue were having an affair. They was banging. Marilyn found out about it and forced Marty to get rid of Sue. So before all this went down, Marty had had a violent outburst and he was admitted to the VA hospital. He was a veteran. Yeah. He was maybe. a cook in Vietnam. He didn't do anything. There he met another guy there for the same reason named Bo, Boba Day. And they hit it off. They made fast friends. Bo would even go to live with the smarts after he and Marty were released from the hospital. So Bo had a record and even may have had ties to organized crime. He might have been an enforcer in Vegas. When Marilyn was asked by police if the two were involved, she said, yeah. The night of the murder, Marilyn, Marty, and Bo were at a bar called Keddie's Back Bar. Bo asked Sue if she wanted to come along. She declined. After a few, she says that Bo said that he felt like killing someone. So they leave around 11 o'clock, but then Marty and Bo end up going back to the bar. And then Marilyn remembers Waking up at 2 in the morning said that she saw the, those two burning something in the wood stove. Strange thing was that they were wearing different clothes that they were wearing earlier that night. You ever got wasted and changed your clothes? <laughs> yes. <laughs> a couple, a couple, you? Oh, never mind. No. No? No. Really? Mm -mm. That's crazy. Yep. It's like, oh, shit. I fell in that puddle. Oh, no. <laughs> no? That's kind of weird. So they were brought in for questioning... Um, they were questioned in the same room together. You don't do that. So another weird thing was Bo claimed that he was a police officer, but he was forced to quit after being shot in the groin. That was a lie. Oh, they were trying to say, like, it couldn't have been us because we were at the bar. So the first time they left the bar, they did leave the bar, and I remember they left and came back. So the first time that they left the bar, Bo had made a scene because the music had been switched from country to rock. And then after the left, supposedly he even called the manager of the bar and was like being a total Karen and yelling at them because they changed the music in the bar. And Marty just brings up like out of the blue. Yeah, there were two guys there that night that looked like us. Just weird out of the blue kind of thing to say when you're being questioned. And he also heard that there was a hammer used at the murder. He made it a point to tell the officers that, yeah, I had a hammer stolen from, from my cabin. Sounds pretty uh, guilty to me. So they were able to pass polygraph tests and then they were released. But after that, they left town, both of them. Get more suspicious. A little bit. Marty went to Oregon. Bo had gone back to Illinois. Uh, years later, Marilyn had come out and said she had found a bloody jacket in the basement. She turned it over to the police, but that wasn't in the case files. It wasn't ever added and also couldn't be found in evidence. So sounds like somebody's 
hiding something, trying mm. to cover this up. Uh, police sort of give up. <laughs> They're just like, yeah. I, I don't know, bro. <laughs> I'm kind of done with this. I'm, o- I'm over it. Yeah, put that in the basement. Yeah. So, um, hey, hey, what's going on tomorrow? I don't know. What's up? I don't know. Kind of stuff. Sick of this case. I think I might. Yeah, I think I'm just, bored with this. I think I'm done with it. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. I, 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 I feel I, you. It's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 so the police give up after those investigations because the case seems to be going nowhere. On April 22nd, 1984, in Butte County, at Camp 18, about 100 miles from Ketty, a man out collecting bottles comes across a skull. He calls the authorities. He's like, oh shit. Fuck, <laughs> man. That's not a bottle. Bottle has holes in it. <laughs> This bottle's talking to me. Do you sit from this side? Which hole? <laughs> oh, it's a skull. The police are called. The authorities came out. I think they actually called in an archaeologist. <laughs> what? The police called an archaeology team. Dang, I thought you've been saying that since dinosaur. I movie. did, man. Jurassic Park. Man, you said that terribly. Like geology. Uh, they thought it was Native American bones until. An anonymous phone call comes in, and they're like, hey, do you think that Scolia found might have been a 12-year-old girl from those recent murders up in Ketty? No, we are done with that, remember? <laughs> so the authorities didn't really think it was random, because it was like three years old, three years almost to the day that this happened. I think it was just three years to the month. That's been two, like, two, <laughs> two back. We were done with that <laughs> two years ago. Later, DNA analysis confirmed that the remains did in fact belong to Tina Sharp. Her cause of death, however, could not be determined. When a search was conducted in the area, a blue nylon jacket, Levi's jeans, and an empty medical tape dispenser were recovered. The call was recorded. Oh. But was somehow the recording was somehow lost. I want this drink and another one. Oh yeah, they found a hammer was found in a pond that it matched the hammer that Marty Smart said that was stolen from his cabin. These ducks have been building something. A man was out there with a metal detector. He was scanning, or I don't know what you call it when you metal detect. He was scanning the dried up pond, um, close to where. The resort was, and he found a fuck the fucking hammer that they were. He knows the little missing. ass town, and there's this guy like just scanning. He's like, "Yeah, that's um, that's old, that's old Iron Man Magoo." He just searches that pond. Well, that's he a, didn't. That's his thing. Just search the pond. He searched. He did a lot with his metal detector. And he's like, "Yeah, old man metal searcho." Yeah, that's his thing. Uh-huh. Out of sixty people, this, he does. this is the guy. He, he's gonna get it done. <laughs> you need hammers found. Yep. This you guy. You're missing a hammer? Shit, I got you. Dude. So Martin Smart and Bo Bobaday did pass away in 2000 and 1988. So Martin passed 2000. Bobaday passed in 1988. I would have fucked up saying Bobaday at least once by now. Bobaday. That's really Bobaday. Try me. <laughs> um, but special investigator Mike Gamberg and former <gasps> Plumas County Sheriff Greg Hagwood Reopened the case in 2013, later stated that the Ketty case was solvable and that during the initial investigation, both the DOJ and local deputies made crucial mistakes. 
This includes evidence that wasn't logged, tampering with the crime scene, and leads that weren't properly investigated. This is the first case on our series where we didn't talk about cum. Oh, yeah. (coughs) Even if there was cum, they wouldn't know what to do with it. No database. Yep. You just like, mmm, this tastes... (laughs) That's, he lived like that's Jim 30 miles within 30 miles from now. Another one. So in 2018, DNA from a piece of the tape found at the crime scene was linked to a living unidentified suspect. They didn't want to shout it out to the news who they might have found. They believe that there was at least two people still alive who are accessories to the fact. One of them is probably the anonymous caller who seemed to have special knowledge about what happened to Tina Sharp. It's my belief that there were more than two people who were involved in the totality of the crime, the disposal of the evidence, and the abduction of the little girl, said Hagwood. We're convinced that there are a handful of people that fit those roles who are still alive. So, I think it was Marty and Bo, but they're dead and they're still trying to find somebody. But they're probably never going to, because Marty and Bo did it. What do you think? Yeah think so too all right yeah thank you guys for listening to that one um uh, that was just a little quick episode i don't really have a lot of time to do research hope you like that one um if you enjoyed that this case is way bigger than what i gave you so there's a good website called like i think it's called Keddy 28 this guy has pictures he has the whole story he has He's been investigating this case since like 2016 or something like that. So you can go on there, check it out a little bit more. But uh, thanks for listening to this episode of the Beer Conspiracy Show. We'll be back next week for another show. We'll keep it sexy. Burt Russell. Burt Russell. Velociraptor by a blink ticket. Yeah.